wonderful passage. And uh, it's to do with justification and the consequences and the implications to us of being justified by faith. Now, I was taught in Bible college uh, that every good preacher uh, should, first of all, state his point and then illustrate and then apply. Well, the Apostle Paul does this in the letter to the Romans. He states his point at the end of chapter 3. If someone were to ask you, what is the letter to the Romans about? Well, verses 23 and 24 there are the key, really, particularly verse 24 of Romans 3. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that is the heart of this letter, that we are justified, that we are accepted by God, that we are considered righteous in his sight, not guilty, no longer under condemnation, that we are considered holy and righteous without guilt, free, accepted then by God, that we are justified as if we never sinned. The sins are no longer remembered, no longer held against us. The wrath is removed. We are justified by the grace, this undeserved blessing. Grace, the love of God, the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that because of his death, as a result of his death, there is forgiveness for us. And we are set free from the penalty of sin, ultimately the power, and one day even the presence of sin. So we are justified, we are considered holy and blameless and righteous in the eyes of God by his grace because of Jesus' death. That point is stated, and it's illustrated in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he tells us something of Abram's faith. He shows how he was justified by faith. Now, he could have gone anywhere, really, uh, in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is full of pictures of justification by faith. But he goes to Abram because Abram was the father of faith. And he was the one uh, who showed that he was considered righteous and he was accredited righteousness before the law was given. That he was counted righteous in the sight of God before circumcision, before the Ten Commandments, by the grace of God. And so you can read Romans 4 and see how justification is, uh, is illustrated there. And then you come to chapter 5, and it is applied to our lives. We see the effect it has on us. And the headline really is verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's the headline, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see the logical step. We've been justified. We've been declared not guilty, no longer under condemnation. And so as a result of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we heard last week with Andy that need to pray for peace in Ukraine. We desire peace. We want an end to the strife. We want an end to the war and the suffering. Somehow that the Lord might bring an end to this. We want peace. We want peace within families. You hear of families having broken 
You hear of lives that are broken. People are looking for inner peace. They're looking for some sort of calmness within them. So everyone is looking for peace, whether it's between nations, whether it is between families, whether it is inner peace, a sense of inner calm. Well, here we have the deepest and the greatest peace of all, which is peace with God. If you have peace with God, then everything else falls into place. If you have peace with God, then you can deal with the challenges. You can cope with the challenges that you will face. And if in a community there are more people with peace, then ultimately it will affect the community itself. The more believers, the more people who have peace with God, the more people who have understood something of the love of God and who know the peace of God in their lives, the effect that will have then on marriages, on relationships, on friendships, on society. So it's the basis for everything. If you want inner peace, if you want hope, if you want to know how to love and how to forgive, if you want to see an entire society transformed, then this is what we're praying for, isn't it? For people to know the peace of God. And then he runs through then in the remaining verses some of the consequences of having peace with God and and what this means for us. So let us go through these verses. So you can see really a logical step. So begin with being justified. We have peace with God. Because we have peace with God, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So God is now for us. We are one with God because there is forgiveness of sin sin through the shedding of blood. God in his grace has saved us and he's justified us. He's made us born again. He's given us spiritual life. And we will continually walk in and stand in grace. Now it is grace that sets us free at the beginning of our Christian lives. You're a Christian today because God in his grace sent his son to be the saviour to die for you because God in his grace chose you because God in his grace called you because he sent the Holy Spirit into your life to make you born again, to open your eyes. You're a Christian because of the grace of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It was not our work, it was not our effort, it was not because of anything we had done. We receive grace at the beginning of our lives and we continue to stand in grace for the rest of our lives. So we can know that God is always for us. I think as Christians there are times when we can worry. Well, I know that I'm a Christian because of the grace of God. I know that I'm going to heaven because of the grace of God. But what is God's attitude towards me now? As I'm in this interim period between my conversion and my glorification in heaven, what is my current state? 
And we're told here that we are standing in grace. So this is who you are now. You are a recipient of the grace of God. You're able to stand knowing that you are safe. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you are someone who is able to receive all of the grace of God. So when God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when God looks upon you, he is for you. And he wants you to flourish. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to grow in, his, in your knowledge of him. He wants you to grow in, in, his, in your knowledge of his presence. He wants you to grow in an understanding of who he is and how worthy of praise and worship. He wants you to know that you are safe and that we can never then lose that grace. People speak about losing grace or that somehow you can lose your salvation, that you can fall away and that God's grace cannot hold you. But you will always stand in grace. That's a great story and a lesson of the Old Testament. You think of how much they wandered as a people. <laughs> you think of the idolatry. You think of the rebellion, the grumbling, the complaining, the injustices, the, the evil. All that they did. God's people again and again stumble and fell. And even the best of kings fell. And yet God never forsook them. He never abandoned them. He was faithful to his covenant promises right until the end and he kept them. And we believe that they will one day be restored as well. So he keeps his promises to his people. And you might wonder, and you can look back at your life and I'm sure there are times when you've wondered, when you've become cold, when you've fallen by the wayside. You might have friends or family members who are in that situation now where they have professed faith but they're not walking with the Lord. If they are truly saved, if they are children of God, they are still standing in grace and he will bring them back because nothing can separate us from the live love of God. So remember that when God looks upon you, he delights in you. He loves you. You are his child. He is thrilled to call you his child. And he sings over you with gladness. Remember that. That is your condition. You are standing in grace. And then he continues then. He speaks about the hope that we have. Because we've been justified. Because there is no condemnation. Because we have peace with God, as he goes on to say later on, we will be saved from the wrath that is to come. Verse 9, we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we won't face hell, we won't face judgment. Because we've been justified, because the penalty has been paid, the price has been paid. And because of that, then we have a genuine hope that we can go to the everlasting domain of God that we have the hope of and this is what I want to highlight not just the hope of glory but the hope of the glory of God do you look forward to 
heaven, to paradise, to being in a place with no sin, without suffering, without pain, where death and disease will have gone, to be in paradise. Yes, we are told to look forward to this place, but there is something even greater than the fact that it's a glorious place. The hope that we have is the glory of God. Because we have peace with God, because we're no longer facing hell or wrath or judgment, we can know that we will see the glory of God. And this is what Paul is excited about. This is what he rejoices in, that soon, at some point, he will see glory, and in glory, he will see the glory of God. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus became white, dazzling white in front of them. I think of some of the visions in the Old Testament. Ezekiel seeing the one with the appearance of the Son of God on that throne. And yet it stressed again and again, they saw something of the appearance of the likeness of. <laughs> in heaven, we won't just see the appearance of we will see the full glory of God. And there will be no obstruction. There will be no sin. There will be no limitation because we are in finite bodies. We will be like Jesus and we will see the full glory of God in the person of Jesus. As real as I'm seeing you now, we will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? We are justified. We have peace with God. And so we can know that we will one day go to heaven. And there we will see not just a glorious place, but we will see the glory of God himself. And we will worship him and praise him forever and ever. And people might say, well, okay, that gives us reason to be joyful. But what about, prob what about suffering? Well, he goes on a bit of a tangent then in verse four, uh, verses three and four, where he speaks about the, 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 the positives that come out of suffering, how suffering produces endurance and character and hope. So we're starting to see the consequences. So justified by faith, peace with God, we are recipients of the grace of God that he's always for us, always on our side. We know that we will go to heaven where we will see the glory of God. And also then in verse 5, we are told that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because we are justified, we are considered righteous. Because we have peace with God, the Holy Spirit can come and live and dwell in our souls. I hope you remember this. I hope you truly understand and believe this. That because you're a Christian, and this is why you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in your soul. I look out, and we are ordinary people, aren't we? You know, and if we were to walk uh, in Cledach or in Pontedawa or Swansea, people wouldn't think that there's something special about us. But in our souls, the Holy Spirit dwells. We are not just flesh and blood. We're not just bone. 
but the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit, of course, does many, many things in our lives. But one thing he does, we are told here in verse 5, is that he pours out into our hearts God's love. Because God doesn't want us just to know that we have peace with God. He doesn't want us just to know in our minds that we are forgiven. He doesn't want us just to know in our minds that we are going to heaven. But he wants us to feel that love as well. The Holy Spirit pours out into our hearts an awareness of the love of God. So that we not only believe it and know it in our minds, that we feel it in our souls. And that is glorious. The faith impacts every aspect of our lives. The faith impacts our minds. It impacts our will. It impacts our heart and our emotions. As we know and experience the love of God. When you are aware of your sin. The Holy Spirit fills you with the reminder of the love of God. You are forgiven. Christ has died for you. When you are worried and anxious, the Holy Spirit reminds you of promises and verses in God's word that remind you of the wonderful love of God. You are precious. You're a child of God. When you are lonely, when you are isolated, and perhaps you've been like that in the last two years, you know that the presence of the Lord is with you and that he loves you. I'm sure you've had that experience. I'm sure you've heard of others who've had such an experience. The love of God being poured out so that we not only know of it, but that we're aware of the Spirit as we see in Romans 8, making us aware of the fact that we are children of God so that we cry out, Abba, Father. I wonder if you know that God loves you, that you know it in your mind, and that you know it in your heart. John Calvin said uh, that it is the greatest testimony of all when the Holy Spirit gives you that awareness, when the Holy Spirit impresses on your heart his presence and the love of God. This inner testimony is greater than anything uh, we could experience. You see then the consequences and how then are we able to receive all of these blessings? Well, in verses 6 onwards, of course, he highlights how we are able to receive all of these blessings. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So how can we know that we are justified? How can we know that we have peace with God? On what basis can we know that we are able to stand in grace? On what basis can we know that we are going to heaven? Well, how do we know the great love of God? Well, verses 6 onwards remind us then that Christ died for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, remember that, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The cross is at the center of all of our blessings, all of our hope, and all of our joy. That Christ died for us 
while we were sinners. People might come and ask you about your faith. And they might be of the impression that they need to reach a certain standard before they can become a Christian. Or that they must be able to live in a certain way. And then God will forgive them. Will take them to this passage. Christ died for us while we were sinners. He died for us while we were enemies. And we come to him as we are, as sinners, repentant, confessing our sins, and then we receive forgiveness. So make sure we remind people of this. It's not about reaching a certain standard. It's understanding that we've all fallen short. We're all sinners. And Christ died for us while we were there in that sinful, destructive, disobedient death. Christ died for us so that we then might be delivered, so that we might be saved from the wrath of God. And the final blessing that we see here then is in verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I heard today of a couple that are now estranged and marriage has broken apart and we are praying for reconciliation. When you see a couple reconciled, it fills you with joy uh, when a, a couple has gone through problems and to see them coming back to see a brother or a sister who have quarreled, to see reconciliation there. It warms your heart, doesn't it, to see reconciliation. Well, here we're told that we can be reconciled to God himself, that we can know God as our Father, that we can know him as the one who pours out his love towards us, the one who does give us his grace continually, that we can be one with God because of his amazing love and because of Christ's death for us. And so we rejoice. You're a child of God. That is who you are today. If someone asks you, who are you? You might say, well, so-and-so and and I live in Cladach and I have so-and-so number of children and I've done this in my life. Tell people I am a child of God. This is who I am. This is my greatest identity. I'm a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been saved by the grace of God. Through the death of the Lord Jesus, I'm a child of God. And this is who I am. I am one with him. And no one can separate me from the love of God. This is who you are. And this is who you will be forever and ever, for all eternity. And so... There we are, a quick overview of a few verses there. The, uh, Lloyd-Jones, you know, did an entire book uh, on this. Well, we've done it there in about 25 minutes or so. Just a flavour, a taste of the blessings. Peace with God. Standing in grace, knowing that God is for you. To know that you will see not just glory, but you will see the glory of God in heaven one day. God's love being poured out by the Spirit into your heart to be reconciled to Christ, to be reconciled to God as your Father. All of this because while 
you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. I think we've got a reason to pray today, haven't we? I think we've got a reason to come and to acknowledge the goodness of God. This is how we can pray. You might be coming to the prayer meeting tonight, a little bit disillusioned perhaps, or you might have a difficult week, or you might be cold, or I don't know, we all come with distractions. Remember, we come to the throne of grace, knowing that we have peace with God. And so whatever sort of day you've had, whatever difficulties you've gone through, we come knowing that he receives us and that he listens to our prayers because we are children and he loves us greatly.